Welcome to the first ever Newcastle Tunes podcast. My name is Carson Merck. I'm one of the site experts, and I'm joined by my co-site expert, Dareem Halimi. How are you, sir? I am doing well, my man. How are you? Uh, well, we had two matches in a week after a lengthy international break, and, and we came away with nothing from them. So as far as a, as far as a Tune fan, I have been doing better. That makes two of us, especially seeing how well our boys perform perform for their countries, but then didn't really show up for Newcastle. It's kind of frustrating. Yeah, that was the definition of frustrating, having to wait so long. And we, we kept talking back and forth. We were like, so long in between matches. And I was hoping, you know, we waited forever. It's going to be an awesome, you know, comeback when it did. But it was uh, it was quite the opposite this week. Yeah, all we can hope for is that they turn things around and at least get enough points to to survive. I don't think it should be a problem, but you never know in the Premier League. Yeah, crazier things have happened. So um, obviously people have been reading our work for, for years and now we'll get to, to hear our voices. So this is our, our debut. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can find us at, at NewcastleTunes.com, part of the fan-sided network. But I'm um, going into the matches. So obviously the first match back, we... Had to watch everyone return to action last weekend. We played Monday against Arsenal, which uh, to me was, it was just kind of a meh. Like we didn't seem to have a whole lot of passion. There just didn't seem to be an idea going forward. You kind of feeling the same way? Yeah, there was absolutely no urgency. Our passing was abysmal. Couldn't get any shots going. I think we only had three shots all game. Only one of those being on target with Rondon slipping to the ground while shooting. It was just one of those matches that we all have to forget. Yeah, and I was I was hoping that we would forget it with a nice win this weekend. But yeah, it, it was like you said. They just didn't. They couldn't. You know, link passes together. Richie, for whatever reason, wasn't even pretending to give the ball to Almiron. Um, it was. It was just one of the, it was a dud coming out of an international break, which I guess you can have based on not, you know, being together for a little chunk of time, but you would also hope there would be fresh legs and, you know, there would be bent, you know, pent up excitement, but uh, it was actually the opposite. Yeah, exactly. You would assume that they'd come out with urgency, knowing that even at least a point at the Emirates Stadium would bring us much closer to achieving survival a few weeks in advance, but it was a, it was a no-show in London. Yeah, definitely a no-show. And then also, speaking of the getting completely out of the relegation zone, we have to, you know, give a salute to two of our, our fallen soldiers, uh, Huddersfield and Fulham officially heading down to the championship, and uh, that includes Alexander Mitrovic. But I would have to guess um, that he will get picked up by Premier League club. I find it pretty dang hard to believe he'll go down to the championship, but I could be wrong. I don't think you're really wrong. I think as soon as the team goes down, can't afford to pay all those star players. He has to go somewhere. And he had a hot start to the season, but he kind of went missing in action over the last few months. But yeah, Fulham and Huddersfield were just not fun to watch. Fulham, yeah, they could score a few goals, but... Boy, oh boy, could they concede them too. Yeah, that's what was funny was you had two sides of the equation. They were almost yin and yang. So you had Huddersfield who only, I think, I'm so they scored once today. So I think that puts them at 19 maybe for the season. 
um, goals scored. And they actually surprisingly didn't have the worst goal differential. It was Fulham who just, you know, like you said, scored a lot of goals, but on the other end, weren't stopping any shots. So, um, yeah, it was interesting. And then and kind of going to Mitrovic, it, it going to Newcastle perspective on it, people were, like you said, with the early start, people were quick to criticize Newcastle. Oh, my gosh, how could you let him go? Uh, I think he scored maybe twice in the in the World Cup. And so people were, you know, really roasting Newcastle. Like, how you have no striker. How'd you let him go? And then, like you said, he kind of faded out. But to me, he's proven to be at least a competent Premier League striker. And there's not enough competent Premier League strikers, in my opinion. So I, I think he'll definitely get picked up. Yeah, I think he'll he'll definitely go to at least a, a bottom half club. Maybe for the same price range yeah. that we sold him for, but who knows? I mean, yeah. during the championship season, he was a fun time for Newcastle. So I wish him all the best, but it's whatever. He's gone now and he's not our problem. Yeah, he- <laughs> Yeah, he's a he was always an interesting character. Not to make this an Alexander Mitrovic episode, but he was he was so passionate, which you love to see as as a supporter, as a writer. Um, but he just and he was obviously talented. There's no question about that. But the lack of you know willing to play in a system that Rafa wanted to play was was odd to me. And then it was odd that people were almost blaming Rafa, like, oh, you should give him a pass. And it's like, but you know, if 10 guys are playing well in the system and one guy is not, that's going to hamper the whole operation. Um, so I, I, he was, he was really mercurial to me. He was, I, I loved him when he was playing well, which is easy to do. But then when he was, you know, not holding up play or passing the ball well, I was like, man, why is he even on the pitch? So uh, yeah, he was an interesting one for me, but I, I do think they made the right decision in selling him last summer. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think we got really lucky at least landing Rondon on a loan deal, even though I wish it was a permanent deal. But, I mean, he has a lot of the same features that Mitrovic brings to the table. But, like you said, he actually listens to Rafa and can adapt to that style of play, holding the ball up, knowing that he might be isolated at times. But now with the arrival of Almiron on on the wing, kind of serving as a false nine, the three up top is really helping Rondon. It just, yeah, well, we have to wait and see what happens with his contract too. There's a major dilemma all over Tyneside. Yeah, and that was an interesting, yeah, there's multiple contract dilemmas, as as we all know, with, with Rafa also out of contract this summer. And going into, speaking of Rondon, so going to the match today, we're recording this after Newcastle loses 1-0 to uh, Crystal Palace at St. James's Park with Rondon today. I wrote it in my Tune Takeaways article at NewcastleTunes.com. He so I always have the the top tunes and the mediocre magpies. And as the game was going on, I was moving him back and forth between the categories because there were there were times that he did so well holding the ball up, or he had a nice little uh, quick touch pass that Oyoise uh, Perez missed, but it went out to uh, Richie, who had a shot that was blocked, but so he would have these moments where he was good, but then he would also he would miss chances. Um, he had a header that I think he definitely should have scored, and there were even a couple chances where he didn't take the shot. He like kind of passed it or just missed miss hit the ball. So to me, he played okay, but as the striker, as we know, your job is to score goals. If you have chances to score goals and you don't 
to me, you end up on the, the mediocre magpies, which is where he ended up for me. Yeah, I mean, you hit on it. He had so many chances. Um, and what stood out to me was, okay, with some of the chances, he actually got quite lucky because the Palace defenders kept slipping in the box. However, he always just either didn't trap the ball well enough or took one extra touch, which delayed the shot. And when he did have good looks at goal, instead of burying it into the side netting, it either hit the keeper in the chest, hit him in the hip, just let to not the easiest of saves, but it wasn't a, a good shot. And I don't know, we could have got way more out of him today, but unfortunately we kept missing, especially that header that you're talking about. And I was watching that. I got up off my couch thinking, oh, he's going to bury that top corner buried it in like the third row so you never know yeah with, with that that play specifically that's one where watching him for a season and then even if you watch you know go back to watching him at West Brom he buries that nine times out of ten he, it was an open header it was a great delivery from I think it was DeAndre Yedlin and yeah he just, he just sailed it so it was it was just one of those days which is unfortunate I mean we end up with 18 shots which was you know like 15 shots more than Palace had, and we had more shots on target. But uh, I kind of mentioned it before we started recording. It was it was one of those matches where, so throughout the season, Rafa has set us up defensively, and there were a couple matches where we were out-possessed and out-shot, but either got a draw or somehow got a win. And I could, <laughs> I could imagine the other team was like, man, we, we were the better side today. We can, you know, actually play, you know, aggressively in an attacking mindset, and then we – you know, didn't get all three points. And so today it wasn't as funny because we were on that end of things where we were clearly, the commentators are saying we were clearly on the front foot. We were clearly the better team in the attack. But, you know, if you have 18 shots and can't score them, I'm not sure you deserve the win, to be honest. Yeah, and I mean, in my match recap that I published today, I clearly made it, I, I made note that Newcastle dominated the match from start to finish. I mean, with passes, with possession, with shots, shots on target. But if you're not clinical in front of goal, none of that means anything. I mean, it just takes one quick chance, one ill-disciplined tackle to alter the game. And yeah, Luka Milivojevic buried that penalty for Crystal Palace. And there you go, sealed the deal. I mean, you got to be clinical in front of goal. When you have those good looks, you got to bury it. And it's okay for players to, to be selfish at times. Like you said, Rondon laid the ball off, I think, on two or three occasions when he could have just turned and maybe try to create a chance for himself. You got to take those opportunities. Yeah, it was just, it was one where there were multiple times, and I, and I mentioned it, we were probably I mean correct me if I'm wrong but to me this was almost the most creative we've been in the final third as far as there was some nice you know one twos there was um, some decent crossing they played out wide a little a little bit more than they had in, in recent weeks not enough but um, it it looked good it was just it was everything but the the final ball the final shot and you know we end up putting the ball in the back of the net on an offside they put the ball in the back of the net on an offside uh, which both, to me, were correct decisions. They were both close, but I think he was clearly shielding Dubrovka. But, um, yeah, it was it was a frustrating match. And then, obviously, to add um, insult to injury, Florian Lejeune was I – w- I would be absolutely stunned if that's not a serious, serious knee injury. Yeah, well, my heart goes out to that guy. I mean, 
he came back a few months ahead of schedule, really put in the work, um, immediately had an impact. I mean, the first game that he was thrown in, played solid football. But, um, yeah, to see a player who worked so hard to recover from an injury and then give his all for the team, go down like that, uh, not a not a fun sight. I hope, I hope it's not as serious as we initially assume it yeah. to be, but... Yeah, you know, I just hope he comes back even stronger. Yeah, as I, I mentioned, it was, it wasn't even. You never want to see anyone get hurt, whether that's for Newcastle, for Palace, for you know Sunderland, anyone. You know, you never want to see injuries happen. But it's especially frustrating, demoralizing, just deflating to see it happen. Like you said, somebody works his way back from an injury, from a significant injury, obviously torn ACL, to come back, and then it looks like hurt his um, knee again. Hopefully. Like you said, it's not a it's not as serious as it looked. We had almost a similar circumstance with uh, DeAndre Yedlin. It was it was maybe the second match of the season, I think, maybe even the first, where it looked like he tore his knee up. <laughs> I wrote an article on like who's going to replace DeAndre Yedlin for the long term, and he was back the next week. So, um, yeah, it's it's one of those where hopefully it was it was it looked worse than it it actually is, but and it was such a you know minuscule play like just going in for a challenge it wasn't a huge collision it, it was a collision obviously but just to see somebody go down like that and obviously be in so much pain obviously the Newcastle players were also concerned based on them all you know waving out the medical team and uh, crouching down next to him while he was injured so hopefully 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 not as bad as it looked but um, I'm not too confident that's that's not going to be a significant injury yeah, that that unfortunately makes two of us, but we just have to wait and see what happens. At least he has uh, the rest of the season to recover if need be, as well as the summer. I mean, we remember when Sean Longstaff, well, when it was announced that he was yeah. also injured and would miss the remainder of the season, that was tough because, I mean, he had a solid last few months and even named nominated for premier league player of the month and then to just go down like that kids living the dream but he seems to be in good spirits and i think we'll have a a really solid central midfield with him in yeah, it next and, season and looking at positionally so if there was a position where there is depth thankfully this season that has been in the central defense i'm pretty sure everyone I'm trying to think if there's been someone that hasn't been injured, but I think all of them. I mean, you go from Clark, Lascelles, Federico Fernandez, Fabian Char, obviously Lejeune. I'm pretty sure all of them have suffered a, you know, at least a small injury this season, but you have quality players there, which at that point it's good to have the depth. But, uh, yeah, the, the central midfield is going to be interesting. It's actually even going to be interesting these last few weeks just because uh, you have – Hayden, who played pretty well today after a couple kind of letdowns, uh, definitely against Arsenal, his former club, he was not great. But I don't know who you start. Key was good, and he had he had a really nice long pass down the left wing to Almiron, who looked like he had a turbo booster up his butt because he hauled that down somehow. But it's going to be interesting. Uh, Shelby this year, man, it, it was before the season, in the summer last year, during the World Cup, you know, even before that, at the end of last season, we were arguing that Shelby should be in the English national team. And 
he's not even in Rafa's team a lot of these times coming off the bench. It's it's wild. Yeah, I mean, I'm never going to forget the article I wrote last season, toward in the second half of last season. It was just talking about John Joe Shelby's resurgence. I mean, he had a he had issues with discipline in the first half of last season, lack of playing time, but then he really picked it up when we got on that hot streak. And then, yeah, this year we just didn't get the same out of him, even when he was healthy. A lot of people would question his urgency, his reaction to to plays, especially defensively, his reactions after we'd concede goals. And then it's unfortunate to see him go down with an injury. I think it was against Watford. He got subbed off in the 50th minute. And um, before today, only got 18 minutes of action since then. It's really something we're not used to seeing, especially since we're so used to praising Shelby for his amazing passes and really known for threading the, the needle with some long ball crosses that nobody would think would get through. But, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. If if it was up to me, I would honestly let him go for a good price, but who knows? I'm, I'm not part of the business. Yeah, I just cover the me, team. I would... I love John. I'm actually wearing a John Joe Shelby kit as we record this, but to me, it's a, he's such a talented player, but he has that, he has that side where we've seen like with the, you know, racial stuff in the past, just with, you know, stupid red cards, like you said, the discipline issue, but it was always, it was always worth it because he was playing so well, as far as his lack of discipline. Like if you were, you know, if he's not playing well, his lack of discipline makes it, it's amplified. But uh, to me, you know, he was, he was such a quality player, but I don't know these last, these last five matches, I would, I would almost play for me. I will, I would play key and Shelby because to me, you're going to give up something defensively in the midfield, but in some of these matches against the team like Fulham and Brighton, you have the chance where you can score some goals. So to me, I would have my two best passers out there, which obviously is key and Shelby. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think Diame is maybe a start away from getting his uh, one-year clause triggered, which uh, that's going to be another interesting one where I think I mentioned before in an article that I think I think you you let him get that option triggered, and then I think you move him. He's obviously he's getting older, and he. You mentioned last year with Shelby coming on late. He he's been last year at the beginning of the year he was abysmal, and then all of a sudden when Shelby started to get better, oh yeah, Diame started to get better, and you couldn't take those two out of the lineup. This year, Diame starts off poor again, and then started to get better, but then kind of faded again. So, um, I think just the inconsistency. I think I would look to move him, combining that with his age. Yeah, definitely, and. It's funny that you hit on it because uh, I kept referring to them last season as the bald and the beautiful in midfield. Nice. Yeah. Nice. But, um, yeah, I mean, Diame's been decent this year. He, he has been a reliable central midfielder. But, like you said, he's getting older. And to be honest with you, one reason why I love the guy is because he, he plays with a lot of urgency. He tries to win every 50-50 ball that comes his way. But he's also one of the clumsiest players I've ever seen in my life. He yeah. really passed the ball, but I mean, he he puts he wears his heart on his sleeve and gives it all for the team. But yeah, I think he should go too. 
in regard to your suggestion about maybe playing them for a few games, I think if we can beat Leicester City next weekend or at least get three or four more points to create that nice cushion away from Cardiff City down at the bottom, then I think maybe we can experiment. But it's also kind of tough to take Isaac Hayden out. I mean, everybody thought, oh, this guy just wants to leave Newcastle, doesn't want to play here. How could Rafa be so so ignorant to start a player who's not mentally here? Well, I think he's proven everybody wrong. I mean, he's he's been playing lights-out football, especially when he had uh, Longstaff right next to him. But I don't know. Rafa, it might be wise to switch up the team here and there, especially today's performance. I kind of could tell that Hayden was getting a little fatigued maybe towards the 70th minute, yeah. so some fresh legs might do us some good. Yeah, Hayden especially, like you said, having long been rumored to you know be one and away from Tyne's side to me he's he's a good player he's not I don't think he's he's definitely not exceptional going forward I'm not even positive he's exceptional defensively he's definitely a defensive-minded central midfielder but uh, yeah he he's a he's a steady guy for the most part he doesn't make a lot of huge mistakes but he doesn't really do much either way Uh, that's why I think for me having Shelby and Key there is more upside then the, I think their ceiling is higher but their floor might be lower because they would be exposed more defensively but uh, yeah it was uh it's going to be interesting to see how he plays out this squad there's obviously some players that are you know going to be in there Almiron's going to be in there which I mean kind of move on to him so Almiron today um, kind of been the story for a lot of his time here he has some impact plays every time he gets on the ball I know you mentioned you jumped off your couch when you thought Rondon scored Every time Almiron gets on the ball, I, I lean forward in my seat just because <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. so exciting. That the first touch, the quickness, um, the you know skill on the ball. But I, his impact to me is it's good. But if we're not getting consistent goal scoring from other people on his assists, or he still hasn't scored himself, which is crazy to me because he's had some really good chances. But um, yeah, it, it's. He's definitely worth it, and he definitely is somebody I cannot wait to see. You know, wear the black and white for years, but it's almost frustrating to see him play so well at times and not get any you know result from it. Yeah, I mean, when when we first announced that he's coming to Newcastle, a lot of people were excited about it because they keep reading about his talent, but then they were also skeptical because of him coming from the MLS and. Not to diss the MLS, it's a good soccer league. However, um, the qual- there is a great disparity in quality between the MLS and Premier League. Right. So people were always questioning, is he going to be able to adapt to English football? I don't think he's having any trouble adapting. The problem is, though, and I noted this last week in an article, I think Rafa is not using him the right way. If you really want goals and assists out of this guy, you gotta move him and play him more in the middle. That's the that's how he made his money at Atlanta United. He was able to get through balls in to Joseph Martinez. He was able to score himself, and not only would he improve his own statistics, I think Rondon would be hitting at least 15 goals by the end of the season had Almiron played more. In, a, in an attacking midfield role behind Rondon. That being said, though, even as a winger, like you hit on it, he is still having a meaningful impact. I mean, 
Newcastle's creating so many chances. Before this game, in their five-game winning streak at home, they were creating 84 chances, and that's amazing, especially where we were at the start of the season, barely getting four or five shots off. But um, no, I mean, I'm I'm excited about this guy, and I'm really not worried about the fact that he has zero goals and zero assists to his name. I think those will come, especially next season. But yeah, he's he's a joy to watch, and even in today's game, I think it was somewhere in the mid 70s, in that 75 minute mark, he had such a good look at goal. I think it might have taken a deflection, but oof, that was going upper 90. I was off my seat for that one too. Yeah, he's. He, if anything, he's incredibly fun to watch, but I think he's, he's also, so you want the sizzle and the steak. And I think he's both. He's, he has such great vision. He's such a technically gifted player. And then you add in the speed and the balance and uh, yeah, he's, I'm not worried about the goals not coming. I'm not worried about the assists. I just think his, his impact is not being measured by goals and assists right now. But like you said, the chances created, I think it's been uh, it's been good, but for me, he's he's just so fun to watch. And if you get him, so he'll be obviously with the club for a whole, you know, training camp leading into the next season, and then he'll obviously have more of a you know rapport with some players that are coming back. And if they bring in any new attacking players, who knows if they will? Who knows if Roth will be the manager? Nevertheless, <laughs> with that, um, it, it's going to be fun. I think I think next year he's he's turned some heads already this year, but I think next season is going to be even more. I think people are really going to be like, whoa, like he's, he's a stud. Well, I think he proved that in the first half against Huddersfield town, when he made his home debut as a starter. And when he, I don't know if you remember that play, it's kind of hard to forget it, but he broke free in the middle and just chipped the keeper. Oh my God. I thought that was going to be the brilliant, most amazing goal possible for any player on their debut. But when I saw it hit the post, bounce back to Rondon, then he hit the post yeah. too. I was like, oh man. Yeah. He, to me, but he's a special player. He's absolutely. He's a special player and he's a player where a perfect example. So one, not wanting to go back to the match today at all. Cause it was so frustrating, but going back to the match today. So Wilfred Zaha, who's Crystal Palace's best player. Um, he doesn't do much throughout the match at halftime commentators are saying he's not doing a whole lot. He's, he's such a talented player. So go to fast forward to the middle or the, towards the end of the second half, he has one moment where, you know, blows by a defender gets into the area and Yedlin, you know, knocks him down. I have no idea why, but so Almiron is, is that kind of player for me. He could be silent for 88 minutes of a match, but then he can have that moment where he, you know, blows by two defenders and crosses one into Rondon and they, and they score. So to me, he's he's a game changer, I think is the best way to describe him. Yeah, and I mean, we saw it against Burnmouth a few weeks ago. He literally took the ball on his own from one box all the way to the other, one on three, got fouled, earned us a free kick, and then bam, Rondon's beautiful David Beckham-style goal. Yeah, perfect example, yeah. So to me, he's... He's just such an impact player. And then going forward, obviously we have Lester coming up, as you mentioned, on, on Friday. So not too long from, from where we're at now. And it's going to be interesting. I, I'm not too thrilled they played Huddersfield uh, today and buried them 4-1 because they're going to be in pretty good form. But uh, that's going to be an interesting match for Newcastle. I'm, I'm not sure 
I'm not sure how they're going to approach that. I know we both mentioned, I know you mentioned in an article as well, that against Palace, they would be more attacking than they were against Arsenal. Narrator voice, they were. <laughs> they had 18 shots. So it's going to be interesting to see if they revert back to that, you know, sitting back as they've done many, many a time this season. I mean, if I had to guess based on the circumstances right now, this late in the season and seeing that Burnley has leapfrogged us and now we're just sitting there at 35 points, Brighton and Southampton with 33, we can't just sit back. I think Rafa's going to emphasize the importance of this game and he's going to let the team know, yeah, Leicester is on a hot streak right now. The players are certainly listening to Brendan Rodgers. But I don't know. I think I think Newcastle will show up. And if I had to make my prediction from right now, despite losing two in a row, I think we're going to go and defeat Leicester City. I don't care what the score is, who scores, but we need those three points. Especially when we look at Cardiff City's uh, last few games. Oh, man, I don't know how they're going to get a single point. So... For us to get three points against uh, Leicester City, it's going to be huge for us. Yeah, for me, I know a lot of fans, you know, whether they're Newcastle fans or just Premier League fans, are frustrated a lot of times with Newcastle just sitting back, parking the bus, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm actually one of the few that typically I say I'm okay with that because the results are more important than style points. I actually wrote that like last year in the early season, but. Um, For me, this Leicester match, like you mentioned, I think this can be one where it's okay if you win three to two. I mean, I would be overjoyed if we scored three goals for sure. But um, yeah, that makes two of us, right? Yeah. So for me, it's this can be a match where, like you said, create that separation from the bottom three and go out there and say, "Hey, we might concede a couple of times, you know, pressing guys forward, but that's what's going to take to win, and that's what it takes to be in the Premier League for another season. So sometimes that's what's necessary." Yeah, no, you, you're exactly right. And so I'm hoping that the circumstances uh, are really put into perspective in our players' minds so that they go out there and perform and give it their all. And I mean, yeah, Leicester have a quality team, but they're not a special team by any means. I mean, they've had a bunch of close calls, and I think uh, Newcastle can definitely put up a good fight against them. Yeah, and with... I think the form that we're in from today, you could take away, yeah, we didn't score. Yeah, we only put, I think, four shots of our 18 on target. But we also had 18 shots. So I think while you don't bring the form from the finishing going forward, I think the confidence that they were able to create 18 shots should give them confidence going into a match you know, at King Power Stadium versus Leicester. Yeah, definitely. And then I really hope that we get that that win, get those three points, pretty much unofficially, I guess, uh, achieve survival, even though I think everybody can agree that if we get three more points, it's pretty much a done deal for us. Then we can finally handle these other distractions. I mean, Rondon's contract, Ayose Perez giving that interview in Spain saying, He's enjoyed his time at Newcastle, but now he's thinking about a move to La Liga. And then, of course, we have the icing on the cake. Rafa Benitez, will he sign? Will he not? So many things to think about. Yeah, I, 
I think all of them are intriguing in their own right. So I think for Rondon, I know we both feel we would love to keep him. Um, I'm not sure I'm overly confident that they'll keep him just because Mike Ashley is a bit a bit of a, an ageist as far as you know who he likes to just a little yeah, extend contracts of. So I would love to see him stay, but to me, if Rondon leaves, there's more there's there's a better chance they can find a replacement for Rondon than there is for Rafa. I think that's fair to say, but well, that's definitely fair to yeah, say. And yeah. that, but I always say Perez is an interesting one because a lot of times I think his I've written hundreds of articles covering these matches and almost most of them it's something where it's a match of I always say Perez did well in the attack he was aggressive going forward but the final ball or but his finishing so to me he's when he's playing well you go to the you know Everton match he scores two to get get us the crazy win but then there's been so many other matches this season where he's been our you know maybe our most exciting attacking player but then he makes the wrong decision you know should have passed it and he you know instead of shooting or should have shot it and then he passed it so it's he's a really frustrating player and he's very divisive for Newcastle fans I think the Toon Army a lot of them love him because you know he scores crucial goals which he's done consistently since he's been here but then also he has so many plays where you're like dude what are you doing like out of all the things you could have done, that was the absolute worst thing you could have done. And he, so he does that consistently as well. So uh, I know somebody in our, our Facebook comments mentions, you know, inconsistency that he's just, he's too inconsistent. Uh, I would probably personally, I would probably sell him if the right price came kind of like what you said with Shelby, but I don't know how you feel about moving. I always say, I mean, I'm on the fence and just last week I also wrote, actually, no, it was this week. I wrote an article on Iose and, I raised the question on what Newcastle should do. Do we keep them? Do we sell them? And instead of giving a verdict, I kind of just highlight his overall game with a few reasons why we should keep him, a few reasons why I'd be okay with selling him. And it's exactly what you said. When he's in form, he can be one of the best players on the field. I mean, he's he has the pace. He has the urgency. He is a brilliant maneuver. I mean, he, he knows how to get into position to at least create a, a scoring chance. Like, I don't know if you remember that goal against Arsenal last season. Dude had no angle whatsoever, yet yeah. he got in front of the defender and boom, right into the net. But um, I don't know. I mean, his, his inconsistency does drive me crazy too. Sometimes I feel like he spends more time arguing with a referee over a missed call than he does paying attention to the game or trying to stay on his feet to build on an attack yeah. and then yeah he's just not the best finisher he has so many good looks at goals but either kicks them right at the keeper shoots them wide shoots them over just i don't know there's too many question marks so i'm i'd say i'm on the same boat as you where if the right price came along i would let him go i'd say thank you for playing with us for so many years and making so many appearances however Yep, time to go. Yeah, I'm wondering if actually I, I'm confident to an extent that Almiron could play a part in Iose Perez leaving because it's almost one where you have like going to a baseball analogy. If you have a really good 
third baseman in the AAA, and you have a pretty okay third baseman on your major league team, sometimes they'll trade the major league player to give a chance to the young guy. Um, that could be one where they th- they say, okay, we have our most expensive signing ever playing out of position on the wing. Maybe we move and bring in a more natural 10 position and play on your own there rather than I always say where they have in the past. They're both playing on the wing now, but um, where you know you maybe play your best player at his most comfortable position that could factor in and then being a little more comfortable letting him go. Yeah, I would definitely put a priority on making sure that Almiron feels comfortable and is playing in his traditional role more so than constantly giving Ayose Perez another chance to prove himself. I think he's done a good job at the club, but if the right offer came along, he should definitely be on the move. And we could also see Almiron internally move into a different position but yeah there's a lot of questions to to be answered yeah i'm wondering if going into next season obviously again disclaimer we don't know if rafa will be back but christian atsu to me has been pretty pretty dang good when he's come on as a substitute on the wing so i'm wondering if you know you move atsu into a starting role on the wing bring Almiron back to the middle. Obviously, if Richie's still here, not playing him at wing back anymore would be interesting. But I was thinking the day I was sitting there watching that match, what happened to last year's Kennedy? You know, the guy's mentality is just off. That's the only thing I can think of. When he came to Newcastle from Chelsea, you could tell from from his debut against Burnley, this was a kid who's hungry, wants to prove himself, and he was kind of playing like angry football, like he was mad at Chelsea. He's like, here, I'm showing you the talent that I have. And now that he's back with Newcastle, I think he kind of lost that hunger and felt a little too comfortable, meaning, hey, I have a, a fallback for my career. But no, man, you still got to prove yourself. And yeah, the fact that he's underperformed definitely hindered our offensive efficiency even before Almiron came over Kennedy still could have been a a solid player for us on the wing but just did not show up at all except for that one goal against Man United which was a beauty but that's it literally yeah to me it was like you said feeling comfortable he's been on loan so many times I think the fact that a team finally wanted him back for sure probably factored into him being like oh okay Maybe this team is interested in me in the long term. They love what I did last year, so you know they decided to bring me back. But man, he has—I mean, he didn't even play today. But he—I forgot there were a couple of times where we had mentioned. I was like, I forgot he was on the pitch. He had done so little, and he's another player where, with kind of what I mentioned with Almiron, but to a lesser extent, he can have you know eighty minutes where he doesn't play well, but that other ten minutes where he. You know, he's taking on defenders, he's, you know, you know, crossing the ball well or, or firing shots from the edge of the box. He can he can be such a difference maker, and we did not see that this season at all, other than the Manchester United goal. Yep, and the only other good moment that I can really think uh, from Kennedy is his assist from the wing when he crossed the ball in for Rondon uh, against Burnmouth, this time at St. James's Park. But yeah, I mean, to only have two good moments all season, that's kind of pathetic. 
and he's yeah that was a i got his kit which was a fatal mistake i think i actually am partially responsible because <laughs> when they brought back the maroon and blue kits i was like ah oh, kennedy was so fun he was just fun to watch last year so i was like you know he's fun i'm gonna get his kit and then you know i think i cursed him I think he was cursed from the moment he missed that penalty kick at Cardiff City. Heck, we we that's that's possible. We might have been safe today. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, that match. Looking back on on this season, that's going to be one that, if somehow some crazy turn of events knock on wood, if we go down, that'll be one where we look back like, wow, we really let one go. But yeah, it could be a confidence issue. I mean. He was a player, like you said last year, that was playing angry. And also, while playing angry, he was playing with confidence. He was, you know, nice little dribble skills. He was he was taking people on. He was fearless. So, I mean, you missed that penalty versus, you know, arguably the team that everyone thought would be the worst. And uh, confidence could have been rattled. I, I don't know. But, man, it would have been nice. Can you imagine having an a informed Kennedy and an informed Miguel Almiron? Oh, I don't even want to think about it. I know. I, that was actually just the first time I thought about it. I don't know why I said it, because now I'm mad. <laughs> That's exactly why I don't want to think about it. Yeah, I mean, you if you had a, an attacking trio of Kennedy, or even, we'll say, a, a quartet of uh, Kennedy, Almiron, Rondon, and Eusebio Perez, I mean, we would have been, been scoring some goals, but unfortunately that was not meant to be, apparently. And speaking of goals well actually the lack thereof one player who is making me even more mad than kennedy yoshinori muto like okay i know he wasn't a highly praised signing this summer but still coming from the bundesliga all of us definitely expected him to at least perform quite a bit better than what he's given us to this point i pre- i predicted him as the top scorer on the team if oh, i'm correct i do remember that remember yeah that. Yeah, it was a bold, a bold claim by me that didn't pan out. Yeah, like you said, coming from Bundesliga, I think he would have been. I think that was part of what I, what I thought that he would be the top scorer was he could play up top, or he could play as a number ten or that supporting striker role. And he, he hasn't played much at all. And when he has played, it's been it's been very meh. Did he score? He scored twice against Man United, didn't he? Scored once, came close to scoring a second, but. That that's literally all he did. I mean, to put things in a perspective, yeah, that, that was it. He only has a total of you ready for this? Six oh shot attempts all season. Yikes. Six. Our boy Hasselu has triple that. That's never that's never a good. Whenever you you have less of a statistical category than Hasselu, uh, you're you're not doing things well. He honestly though, if we try to find the silver lining with that. He could also benefit if, if Perez leaves. He could possibly slide into that role. Whether he plays well in that role is, is a completely different subject. But oh yeah, he could potentially he could potentially play up there. But yeah, the, he's just been he's been a non-factor. I'm glad Hostley's been a non-factor. But um, yeah, that was that's been rough. Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, the lack of contribution from Muto and Hostelu, kind of. Can't believe I'm gonna say this. Make me miss Dwight Gale. Yeah, that. So I mean, we we can kind of wrap up on this as, as a decent point, though. Do we bring? Does Dwight Gale come back to Tyneside? I mean, the X factor here is what Mike Ashley decides to do with Rondon. 
because I mean, yeah. I think West Brom's asking for 16 million pounds, but from reports that I've read from England, reports are saying that Ashley is only willing to give up to 12 million, which maybe he could get away with that if West Brom stay down. However, I don't know. Even if Gale does come back, something tells me that his numbers would actually improve from last season. Reason why I say that is now we actually have a playmaker who can set people up. And if if Gale can get into position, I don't see why he can't score at least 10 goals with Almiron next to him. Yeah, he's such a different player than Rondon. Um, obviously, just great pace, but not great in hold-up play. But like you said, with, with Almiron, it would be interesting to see him. I don't want to compare two different players to an extent, but you saw what Almiron did with Joseph Martinez for Atlanta United. I'm wondering if you could almost see that with Gale where, you know, Almiron makes a run down the middle and is able to play a through ball to, to Gale for some goals, but it would be interesting. I personally, I still think my preference is keep Rondon, give, let them keep Gale and, you know, hash out whatever monetary transfer needs to happen. But I guess if it doesn't happen, I'll be frustrated, but I won't be that frustrated because I will be intrigued by what could happen with Gale and Amiron. Yeah, that that makes two of us. And the the key the key sentence here is we shall wait and see. I mean, there's so many different question marks, so many scenarios because we even have Jacob Murphy out there on loan too. Could Newcastle potentially try to give West Brom both Gale and Murphy in exchange for a a discount price on Rondon. So many different variables go into account here, but who knows? They man. can have Murphy. They, they can, can keep him. They can keep him, huh? Yeah, Murphy to me, man, he was – I don't think I was overly excited about his signing. I was, I was intrigued, but that's another guy that just – I don't know, he couldn't – he couldn't break into the lineup at all, which obviously is not a good thing. I trust Rafa's uh, squad selection. So, yeah, he, he was another one that was just un- super underwhelming to me. And um, I w- there's also Rolando Aarons still on loan as well. Yeah, he's out at uh, Sheffield Wednesday. He's actually, according to... He's played okay. Yeah, Steve Bruce is actually quite happy with his performances. Yeah, that'll be a. It's gonna be interesting, like you said. Wait and see might be the, might be the main thing as you look forward to not only the end of this season but also obviously into the summer with so many question marks. So, before we wrap up, let's go official prediction: Leicester City versus Newcastle United. Give me a score. I'm gonna go Newcastle two, Leicester one, and I don't think Almiron will get his first goal, but I think he'll bag his first assist. Okay, I'll go. I, I want to say they win, but I'm gonna say three-one Leicester City. I just, but that's with the hope that they play the Newcastle plays aggressively and they just get burned on the back end. That's I'm more okay with that than if they lose one-nil and all we do is sit back. So um, I I think we'll lose three-one, but if as long as we go out on our shield, I'll, I'll be happy about it. Hey, I hope you're wrong, but. You do make a valid point, so as I've been saying this whole episode, we shall wait and see. Yeah, I I also very much hope that I'm wrong, but 
Uh, yeah, we'll see. But no, thank you for everyone for tuning in to the first, the debut. This was like Miguel Amiron's Newcastle home debut, almost, of uh, the Newcastle Tunes podcast. Make sure to check out all of our writing, including our uh, contributor, Dean Fisk, as far as um, our written content. And then stay tuned for some additional podcasts in the future. Away the lads. Definitely, and it was a it was a blast going from writing to talking about Newcastle, and we hope to to provide some more discussions and insights for you guys going forward for the rest of the season and heading into the summer. Absolutely. So make sure to follow us on Twitter at Newcastle Tunes, uh, like us on Facebook Newcastle Tunes as well. So uh, for Carson A. Merck and and Dream Halimi, we are signing off. Yeah.